Well, it took over seven years, but what I predicted back in January of 2012 is apparently coming true, and the floodgates are opening on Jones searches of effects. Welcome to Broadcast Blue. Bringing you the latest case law updates on the legal aspects of law enforcement. This is Broadcast Blue. Hello, I'm Bruce Allen Barnard and want to welcome you to this episode of Broadcast Blue. I'm calling this episode, Chalk It Up as a Search. The case I'm going to talk about today is the case Taylor versus City of Saginaw and Hoskins. And this case comes to us from the Sixth Circuit, um, U.S. Court of Appeals of the Sixth Circuit. The date of this case is April 22nd of 2019. And as always, I'm getting this podcast out just within a few days of the release of the decision. You'll hear about it here on Broadcast Blue before you read about it anywhere else. And you can also read about it on the Leah one website at lea.one. Well, let me talk to you a little bit about the background of this and, and kind of explain, kind of frame this for you and why this case is so significant. It comes on the heels of a, a case last February, uh, the United States versus Richmond decision out of the Fifth Circuit. Uh, that I, I did another podcast on that one. I call it He Poked the Tire. And that was a big, big deal. And this is just driving the point home, this case that we're going to talk about today. But a little bit of a background and where I'm, where I'm going with all this. And I've, a shout out to the folks there at the uh, Georgia Public Safety Training Center uh, over there in Forsyth, Georgia. We talked about this case the, the day after it came out. And we were discussing this and some questions in an eight-hour advanced search and seizure law class and emerging trends in search and seizure law presentation that I did out there for those folks. But the whole thing harkens back to January of 2012. It was a game-changer for us in the area of search and seizure law. You know, about every once, I guess, once every generation, maybe 40 or 50 years anyway, there is a Supreme Court decision, it, it, it seems, that comes out that just flips Fourth Amendment jurisprudence on its head. And in, in 1967, that case was Katz. Uh, but in 2012, the case was United States versus Jones. And in United States versus Jones, the court, the Supreme Court resurrected that old-school Olmstead definition of a search that had existed uh, for um, a, a long, long time prior to Katz, and resurrected it, brought it back to life, and, and gave us two separate analyses that we had to make in order to determine whether a specific action constituted a search under the Fourth Amendment. And the Jones search was based on this physical intrusion, a trespass theory, if you will. Um, and basically what the court said was, uh, look, if you physically intrude upon one of the four constitutionally protected areas, persons, houses, papers, or effects, for the purpose of gathering information and its government action, then it's a search under the Fourth Amendment. And we know that searches, uh, if it's a search under the Fourth Amendment, it has to be reasonable under the Fourth Amendment. And reasonableness is going to require either a warrant or a JRE, a judicially recognized exception. So a warrantless physical intrusion upon one of the four constitutionally protected areas for the purpose of gather, gathering information is going to be presumptively unreasonable, and the burden's going to be on the government to show that there is an exception, there is a JRE that applies to that physical 
intrusion. And that's what Jones stood for. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time in this podcast going over the facts. If you haven't read the Jones decision and you're an LEO, you really need to, you need to take a break and read it. You need to, at the next available opportunity, read through it. And not just the, the majority opinion, but also the concurring opinions, because there's threads from that decision that have woven their way into Supreme Court decisions up until just the last term. Um, there's, it's interesting to see how these threads uh, from the Jones decision just wind themselves through. Just a quick little example in the Carpenter, uh, the Carpenter decision of the Supreme Court where they held that, um, that you had to have a warrant in order to get cell site location information. The whole concept and the argument that was being made there stems from a, a comment in the Sotomayor concurrence in United States versus Jones about whether or not we needed to revisit the validity of the third-party doctrine when it came to digital data. And there's all kinds of reasons to read the Jones decision. It's a really, really big deal. I can't overemphasize it enough. But the, the primary thing that the Jones decision did was to resurrect or create, however you want to look at it, this old school definition of a search to sit side by side with the cat's definition. And so now we have two definitions of a search and it's an or, not an and, which means if either one of these analyses is triggered, um, if the conditions are met, then the Fourth Amendment's triggered and it's a search under the Fourth Amendment. The CATS definition, the privacy-based CATS definition of a search, what I refer to as the CATS search, um, is where the government intrudes using any of the five senses into an area where a person has manifest, subjectively manifested an expectation of privacy that we as a society are willing to say is objectively reasonable. Now, Jones is different. It's limited to just one sense, not all five senses, just the sense of touch. And it's not anywhere, it's not based on privacy. It's not based on privacy interest or any concept of privacy. It's based on the four specific areas that are laid out in the plain language of the Fourth Amendment that are protected against um, unreasonable government searches and seizures. And those four constitutionally protected places are persons, houses, papers, and effects. And so with Jones, the fact that the officers, the, the federal agents had physically touched the automobile, which is an effect for Fourth Amendment purposes, um, that they physically touched it for the purpose of gathering information that made the installation of that slap and dash tracking device of a search for the purposes of the Fourth Amendment without any regard to privacy. And, and that opened the door, that opened the, the door to uh, all types of actions possibly being searches that weren't searches under cats. And it, it seemed, of course, the, the, the first direction the court went with this, of all the four constitutionally protected areas, persons, houses, papers, and effects, houses are dwelling, and the courts have often referred to dwellings as uh, chief among equals. I mean, they, they give it a really, a really close look in the Collins versus Virginia uh, case in oral arguments, and Justice Kagan was talking about how it's sacrosanct, how a person's home is sacrosanct. And so it's not too surprising that the first of the, the four constitutionally protected areas, the first one that we actually saw of, of being afforded uh, a look, a new scrutiny based under this Jones definition of a search was uh, in the post-Jones environment, obviously, because Jones was a car. But the first big Supreme Court decision after Jones and the 
case that we saw was the Jardines decision, which came out a year later in 2013 with Frankie, that uh, beautiful uh, chocolate Labrador retriever down there in Miami-Dade. Now, uh, it dealt with whether or not the knock-and-talk exception applied to uh, the them physically intruding at the front door in the curtilage at the front door with this drug detecting dog and and basically under the rule of Jones that was a search under the fourth amendment and there had to be a, a JRE to cover it a judicially recognized exception the argument was was that the knock and talk exception applied for them at the door and although the court was willing to extend this exception to the two officers, it was not willing to extend the knock-and-talk exception to Frankie, the, the, the drug-sniffing drug dog. As, as wonderful a, a dog as, as Frankie was, I mean, there's two things he definitely couldn't do. He couldn't knock or talk. And so in 2013, we had the application of Jones to the dwelling. But I was telling people, I was um, at the time I was the the fourth amendment, the fourth amendment, the search and seizure law uh, subject matter expert. I'm responsible for the lesson plans there at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. And when Jones first came out, it was a big, big deal, and we spent a significant amount of effort trying to get the word out and to and to change the curricula really quickly, and getting the word out to folks who are already in the field who weren't, you had already had their, their basic training. I went to uh, Vancouver, Washington. I was invited to go out to do a legal update right after the Jones decision came out. And, uh, and the, the winter or early spring of 2012, I went to Vancouver, Washington, right across the river from Portland, Oregon. And I did a, a legal refresher for the United States Forest Service there at the, the hotel there in, um, in Vancouver, Washington. And a whole bunch of people there, I'll never forget, it was a huge, uh, huge training conference, uh, alert training, I believe they call it. And, and I was talking about Jones. It was the first group of LEOs that I'd spoken to face-to-face about Jones uh, when it came out. And one of, the, one of the forest rangers there asked me, uh, she said, sir, what about my dog? And I'm like, what, what about your dog? Well, my dog touches the car. My dog puts his paws on the bumper and sniffs the crack between the, the hood of the car and the fender, and my dog sticks his whole body um, in, the, in the wheel wells um, when it's sniffing for drugs. And most of the cars I come across are trucks or four-wheel drive vehicles that are off the ground, and the dog will go under the car. The dog's touching the car the whole time this is happening. And, and the, the question was, is this a search under the Fourth Amendment? Well, I, and I, I countered with the rule of law in Jones itself, which was a physical intrusion upon one of a constitutionally protected areas for the purpose of gathering information. And obviously, it has to be government action. So, I mean, was the dog, the action of the dog, government action? Yes. Did the dog physically touch the car? Yes. Is the car a constitutionally protected area? Well, we know it is because it was an automobile in the Jones case itself. And the last question, was it for the purpose of gathering information, which is obviously yes. And so all the conditions are met for that to be a search under Jones. And and a, a lot of folks were hemming and hawing, saying, well, that's just a, that's de minimis. That's just such a minimal contact. And even if it is a search, it's going to be reasonable under the Fourth Amendment. And surely there's going to be a JRE for that forthcoming. Uh, but nothing happened for a long period of time. We didn't have any cases where the physical intrusion on an effect, like an automobile um, or a bag um, or a box, we didn't have one of these cases come out until just this year. We had the seven-year gap 
where I keep telling people, What's your, this is a search under the Fourth Amendment. You want to touch the hood of the car to see whether or not the engine's warm when it's parked in the parking lot? That is a search under the Fourth Amendment. You are physically intruding upon an effect for the purpose of gathering information. That's the, fun, that's the definition of a search under the Fourth Amendment. The next question is, do you have a judicially recognized exception? If you don't, then it's going to be unreasonable. It's going to be an unreasonable search under the Fourth Amendment. But this, it never happened. We didn't get any circuit court cases where this was taking place. And people, we had these folks I, I called Jones truthers who were denying that, the, that Jones really meant what I was telling people um, for the last seven years that it meant. Well, these last two cases that have come out, Richmond, um, the Richmond case and the Taylor v. City of Saginaw case, are really driving this point home now. And I think the, the floodgates are going to open. Just to, as a reminder, in the Richmond case that came out last February, an officer pulled the car over because he thought there was something wrong with the wheels or the tires. Um, it looked like it was kind of wonky going down the road out there in Texas. Officer pulls the automobile or pulls the car over. Uh, as he's walking up to the car, he, he pokes the tires to see whether there's air in them or if there's something wrong with the tires. And the court held that that poke of the tire was a search under the Fourth Amendment. He physically touched the effect for the purpose of gathering information. They applied Jones. It was a Jones search, plain and simple. So for the first time in seven years since the Jones decision came out, we had it applied to an effect and specifically to an automobile. Now, the Fifth Circuit said that it was okay because he already had probable cause uh, that there was something wrong with the tire and a violation of the Texas Code, uh, the, the Texas Traffic Code, which gave him the probable cause that he needed to use the automobile exception to touch the tire. But the, the key point of that case is, is that we've got the Fifth Circuit saying the mere touch of an automobile in order to gather information is a search under the Fourth Amendment. So that brings us to the case that I'm going to talk about today. I'm, I'm 15 minutes here into this and I've, before I even start talking about these facts, but it's really important, and this is, uh, I think it's a big deal. I really do, and I think that we really need to, to pay attention. And I'll also give you another prediction of what's going to be coming down the pipe, too, at the end. So there's a little tease, a little reason for you to stay with me. But what happened in this case, apparently uh, this woman, um, Allison Taylor, uh, the in uh, I guess in Michigan where the city of Saginaw where this is taking place uh, apparently uh, parked her car in such a way that she was getting a lot of citations for parking her car in, in parking spaces beyond the extended time frame as as I am speaking to you from my office in beautiful downtown Fernandina Beach Florida uh, my jeep is literally parked in a three-hour parking zone and I'm and I'm doing what I'm doing in the office in an, in an attempt to get it done within three hours because I've gotten a ticket before for having my car parked there. They, they know. They know they, um, I don't know whether they chalk or they use some type of imaging software, um, but they know, and they'll, they'll give you a citation. Boy, Fernandina loves to, to, to tack on that, to get you for 100 bucks or whatever it is um, for that parking violation. Apparently, she had the same issue, but she wasn't quite as careful as I was, and she'd amassed a number of parking tickets over time. Um, uh, she was the, the, the court described her as a frequent recipient of parking tickets, and she got a, a, a ticket, and the, the chalk marks were, um, 
or on the tire um, that they use chalk. And that's a common practice, not just here in Florida, but obviously throughout the country and in Saginaw. They just put a mark on the uh, chalk. Some people, some groups use color chalk so they can tell when the chalk mark was applied. Uh, but they use the chalk, and the chalk is what lets them know whether or not um, the car has been there longer than three-hour period. That's the method they use, which requires them, obviously, to physically touch the, the automobile, physically touch the tire. So she um, has 15 tickets, 15 citations. She files the lawsuit. She files a um, Title 42, Section 1983 action against the city and against um, the officer um, for violating her Fourth Amendment right by an unreasonably, uh, uh, an unreasonable search by placing chalk marks on her tires without her consent or without a warrant or without a judicially recognized exception. The, the defendants filed a motion to dismiss. They asserted first that chalking was not a search with the meaning of the, within the meaning of the Fourth Amendment, and even that it was a search that it was reasonable under a judicially recognized exception called the community caretaker exception, which is kind of interesting. Um, that that's what they uh, kind of uh, parked their, parked their, their uh, argument on, the, the basis of their argument. But the district court granted their motion to dismiss, um, and they, but they found the district court said this was a search under the Fourth Amendment, the physical intrusion of the Jones concept, the Jones definition of a search by placing chalk marks on the tire to gather evidence of a potential parking violation. Um, the district court um, agreed with them that it was reasonable for two reasons. One, that there was a lesser expectation of privacy in the automobile, and two, that the search was subject to the community caretaker exception to the warrant requirement. Now, this is kind of interesting on its face because the lesser expectation of privacy in an automobile, um, privacy has no factor. Privacy has no part of the equation itself. So in order to determine the lesser expectation of privacy in the automobiles, what they're basically doing is saying that the automobile exception applies. And so fundamentally what the district court said was that um, this was a search, but it was reasonable because, one, of the automobile exception, uh, which we otherwise know as the Carroll Doctrine, or, or all, I guess alternatively, two, the search was um, a subject to the community caretaker exception to the warrant requirement, and that's what the district court held, and then it was appealed. Um, the, the plaintiff in this civil suit um, appealed this, and it, and it goes up to the Sixth Circuit, and the Sixth Circuit does a really good job um, in this, this what, 10 page, 10, nine and a half page decision. They really laid it out well. I'm, I, was, I was delighted to see the, the, the way that it's, it's laid out and the way that we teach and train law enforcement officers on this. Um, it's, it's really spelled out for you really well in the decision. And they say, hey, look, uh, to determine whether a Fourth Amendment violation has occurred, there's two primary questions, and the first is whether or not the Fourth Amendment's even applicable. We, that first prong that we always that we teach, and that, that I discuss in the advanced search and seizure law classes that I teach across the country. The first thing is whether or not does the Fourth Amendment even apply? Whether or not the Fourth Amendment even applies, and so the first question is whether the alleged government conduct was a search within the meaning of the Fourth Amendment. Was this a Fourth Amendment search? Because if the answer is no, then you can stop right there. If it's not a search under the Fourth Amendment, it doesn't have to be reasonable under the Fourth Amendment. But if the answer is yes, then you move on to the second question is whether that search was reasonable. And, and in order to have 
a reasonable search, you have to have either a, a warrant or a judicially recognized exception. It's really that simple. The, the court very quickly answered the question, the first question. They said the answer to the first question is yes. Chalking is a search for the Fourth Amendment purposes. They talk about how cats is the most prevalent and widely used search analysis um, that we've had since 1967. But then they go straight into the, the fact that in recent years, the Supreme Court revisited this seldom-used property-based approach in United States versus Jones. And so now they're going straight to Jones. They're going to this, this whole concept about this physical intrusion onto a constantly or constitutionally protected area for the purpose of gathering information. So uh, they give a little description of Jones. They talk about Jones. But they, the court says, for our purposes, Jones provides the appropriate analytical framework for determining whether chalking constitutes a search within the meaning of the Fourth Amendment. And they say it's simple. Adopting the definition, um, there has been a trespass in this case because the city made intentional physical contact with the vehicle, and once they determined that the government trespassed upon this constitutionally protected area, it's an effect, um, they have to determine whether it was conjoined with an attempt to find something or obtain information. And the court said here it clearly was. Despite the low-tech nature of the investigative technique, the court says, the chalk marks clearly provided information to Hoskins. And so they've answered the first question in the affirmative. This is a search under the Fourth Amendment, and therefore they turn the analysis over to whether or not the search was reasonable. The, they went to the arguments that were made. Um, they noted that the plaintiff in the case, Taylor, argued the search was unreasonable because the city failed to establish an exception to the warrant requirement. It was a warrantless search. The burden's on the city to establish this judicially recognized exception, and they said that it didn't. Now, the, the, the city argued that there were two exceptions that were applicable. First, they argued that the automobile exception was applicable, I guess, because the reduced expectation of privacy in the vehicle. But as we know, um, in order for the automobile exception to apply, that is an exception to the warrant requirement, but not the probable cause requirement. You have to have probable cause in a mobile conveyance. Um, and they, there was no probable cause at the time that they chalked the tire, and so the automobile exception um, was, inapl was inapplicable, the, the court said. And then they went on to the second one, which was the community caretaker exception. Now, the community caretaker exception is a, an interesting, it's a JRE. It's one that well, we don't talk about too terribly often, but it's a very important one. Um, but the, the concept, the community caretaker JRE, focuses on um, what the, the governments are, what their actions are. You know, the, what, what are they doing? Um, a, a lot of other uh, um, exceptions require that you look at the acts, but the, the specific uh, the community caretaker function or the, the exception requires that you look at the function performed by the government agent when the search occurs. And in order to apply this, this community caretaker concept, it's, the con it's basically the concept that police officers are not just out there to catch people engaged in criminal activity and either cite them or arrest them for it. it, it the, they're also out there for safety. They're also out there to keep us safe, and it's not just criminal actions um, that deal with safety. And that is where the community caretaker uh, function comes in. It's when the when actions that would otherwise constitute a search under the Fourth Amendment are nevertheless reasonable because the police are gauged in this function of 
of taking care of a safety issue in order to protect the public. In order for this judicially recognized exception to apply, the function has to be, and I'm, I'm quoting the court, and the court is quoting the KDV Dombrowski Supreme Court decision from back in 1973, the function must be, quote, totally divorced from the detection, investigation, or acquisition of evidence relating to the violation of the criminal statute. So it can't be a ruse. It has to be totally divorced from detection, investigation, or acquisition of evidence relating to a criminal activity. And that's really, really important because it does not provide the government refuge from the warrant requirement when the court says the delay is reasonably likely to result in injury or ongoing harm to the community at large. That's the only time it applies. It only applies, um, ex it only applies when the delay is reasonably likely to result in injury or ongoing harm to the community at large. So the courts have applied the, the community caretaker doctrine in um, very narrow instances where the public safety is at risk. And the court noted on the facts here, the city has totally failed to demonstrate how the search bears any relation to public safety, nor does the city demonstrate that delaying a search would result in injury or ongoing harm to the community. And because the purpose of the chalking is to raise revenue and not to mitigate public hazard, the city was not acting in its role um, as a community caretaker. So there you go. I mean, it, they shot down both of these arguments that they made for JREs that just weren't applicable. You could kind of tell where they were going in the very in the in the first paragraph, the opening of the of the the decision that the court said, because we chalked this practice up to a regulatory exercise rather than a community caretaker function, we reverse. And so we kind of knew what was coming there and the, the little got got punny. I had a pun there, we chalk it up. We chalk this practice up. Um, uh, so a little sense of humor on the part of the court. So what's the what is the deal now? You know what's going on? What's the what do we have? And what do we have? We finally um, we finally have the recognition that uh, the physical intrusion onto an automobile for the purpose of gathering information is a search under the Fourth Amendment, and you have to have either a warrant or a ju judicially recognized exception. Without a JRE, a warrant or a JRE, it's going to be unreasonable, and it could result um, in the exclusionary rule being imposed. Now, this was a civil suit. This is a suit for monetary damages, basically trying to keep from having to pay the fines, I suppose. A very, um, a very interesting, uh, for something so minor, to go all the way up to the circuit court, someone standing on principle, and that, and that's probably one of the reasons that this it took so long to happen. Um, that took so long for us to see it because of um, what was at stake, especially in the civil suit. Let me predict again. I made predictions back in 2012, and let me now uh, make predictions again about where this is headed, and um, and and I'll explain why. I, this is. I, what I predict is where you're going to see an explosion in these cases are going to be in criminal lawsuits, and it's going to be motions to dismiss or motions to suppress, rather, um, that are a motion to suppress evidence that are filed by defense attorneys on behalf of their clients in order su to suppress evidence, probably drugs. And this is going to come about as a result of canines physically touching automobiles as they are conducting the searches. 
which they're trained to do. A lot of them are. And, it, and if you're a canine handler, you're probably shaking your head right now. How's my dog not going to touch the car when it's sniffing it? I mean, you're telling me my dog can't put it, put her, put her paws on the bumper and to get her head up to sniff the crack between the hood and the fender. I, that's exactly um, what I'm saying. It's not me saying it. It's the United States Supreme Court. That's a that's a search under Jones. If the purpose of touching the automobile um, is to gather information, which it surely would be with a police canine, then um, then it's going to be um, a search, and you're going to have to have a warrant or a JRE. And uh, there's not one that I'm aware of that, that you could argue, and unless there's a new one. Maybe we have the drug-sniffing dog touching the car on the roadside JRE that's created, but one doesn't exist at the present. So, um, th- And that's where I see uh, this going down the road. And I'll tell you what I, I think the source of this is going to be. It's going to be the increasing amount of body camera video. There's going to be body camera video of the handler that's going to show what the dog's doing. You're going to have body camera video that's get, that gets discovered in the discovery process. And there's going to, um, and uh, I, I honestly think that this is the, this is the, the door that has opened. These last two cases, the Richmond case back in February, and now the Taylor v. Saginaw case that we've seen uh, just last week come out of the Sixth Circuit. We got the Fifth and Sixth Circuits uh, already on board with this, and um, I just think it's a matter of time before we just see a literal explosion of cases. And so the takeaway from this is really straightforward, and it's what I've been saying uh, since January of 2012. If you physically touch an automobile, uh, LEO or a canine, you physically touch an automobile for the purpose of gathering information, it's going to be a search under the Fourth Amendment. It's going to be presumptively unreasonable, and the burden's going to be on you to show that, um, that there is an exception that applies. Uh, otherwise, the evidence um, will most probably be excluded under the exclusionary rule, uh, barring some other application of an exception. So, so that's it for this podcast, Tom Flies, when you're having fun. I want to thank the folks again at the Georgia Public Safety Training Center for having me out there. I'll see the folks up at the National Conservation Training Center up in Shepherdstown, West Virginia next week. Going to be headed to New River Gorge. Going to be headed uh, down to Fort Myers, Florida to do some advanced search and, se- search and seizure law training. Got a whole lot of stuff going on at LEA 1. And uh, I would invite you to go to www.lea.one. Our, our name is our website address, and check out all the training opportunities in search and seizure law that are going on, and have us come to your to your training facility. Let us train your officers. Let us uh, come down with our eight-hour advanced search and seizure law course, and um, and really uh, and and really have a fun time talk about the Fourth Amendment, and then and and get this down pat and get this information to folks, and to make sure they have the information they need to make these valid search and seizure decisions as always thank you so much for what you do and i hope to see you again real soon on the broadcast blue podcast series this presentation is provided for purely 
academic purposes. I'm fond of saying I'm a lawyer, but I'm not your lawyer. And what I mean by that is that I do not provide formal legal advice through these presentations. No part of this presentation is offered, nor should it be construed as legal advice. If you need formal legal advice regarding any part of this presentation or have legal questions, you should consult with your attorney.